Right. Like, I've never seen so much stuff on Facebook and other social media saying, like, so we're all deleting Facebook, right? Yeah. So here's hoping. Yeah, seriously. You can also find us on Facebook at Feeling It Pod. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we're feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Feeling It. We are very glad that you have joined us. Uh, on Feeling It, we always talk about whatever piece of pop culture. We are really feeling that week. So whether it's music, movies, TV, something also in the pop culture consciousness, but it's usually music, movies, or TV, um, we will talk about (laughs) what we're feeling that week. And uh, we always try and go in-depth on one big topic. And this week, that topic is the new film Annihilation, um, which actually isn't as new at this point and that's another thing we're going to be talking about is um seeing movies after their kind of uh prime cultural moment so with all that ahead let's introduce ourselves and when we do just to so that we get to know each other better a little bit better every week let's answer a question this time in honor of annihilation releasing straight to netflix uh internationally but being in theaters in the United States, uh, let us know what Netflix show do you wish you could watch in a theater? I'm Lucas Wright, a designer from the Bay Area, and the show that I would want to see in theaters is The Crown. Um, it's just such an expansive show. It's so, it looks so expensive, <laughs> and it's just so, I guess, immersive. Um, I feel like that would be an awesome show just to sit in a, see, just sit in a theater and see uh, Claire Foy and Matt Smith on a 30-foot screen. That is a very good answer, and I'm going to have to come up with a new one on the fly. Um, <laughs> that's the same thing I was thinking. I'm Lawson Soward. I'm an art director in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and I think, what else would I want to see on screen? You, you know what? I think uh, Stranger Things would also be great in a theater. Mm. Um, it'd be really fun to hear that 80 synth going hard and to see uh, all of the upside-down stuff uh, in just, yeah. like emblazoned detail so totally this is one that i wouldn't normally think would be um one that i'd choose but master of none i feel like especially season two he shot that so beautifully and it's just such such like great storytelling i just think that'd be a lot of fun to see in a theater with people yes like the two approaches to what kind of movie should be in theaters one being like thoughtful well-written small human stories and master of none kills it and then i was thinking like blockbuster special effects stuff but i agree (laughs) like that i would love to see that on the screen that would be gorgeous yeah all right well lucas what are you feeling this week um this week i am feeling a irish singer songwriter um dermot kennedy he is a guy I heard about a couple months ago who has been slowly, slowly gaining fame in America. He takes a lot of elements from um, from Ireland. His songwriting style, um, lyrically, you can tell he's really influenced by um, Glenn Hansard, which is never a bad thing. Never. Um, 
Um, yet I feel like he's also taken a lot from like Bon Iver um, with his production style, and it's something that he's learned to like introducing just some some beats and some 808s into his very Irish singer songwriter um, feel um, is really really neat. Um, I'm not gonna say it's like the most original thing in the world, um, but it's right up my alley, and it feels very um, very unique right now. Um, so his song Glory, um, I'm gonna play a clip from that. She's singing to me, glory. 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 I don't even think about you, you know. She's singing to me, glory. It's so funny you were saying all that and all I could think was, oh my God, every single adjective you're using makes this more up my alley. I know. And then when you said, I'm going to play a clip from his song, Glory, I was like, oh, I've heard him already and I love that song. <laughs> yeah, his music, like that song specifically just gets me going every single time. Um, the rest of his album that just came out is really good. Um it's something that I feel like is a little bit for everybody. Like everybody can can listen to this, and just be like, "Oh man, yeah, I'm really getting something." Out of this. <laughs> so it's got the lyrics, it's got the production value. Um, he's somebody that I would now want to see live. Um, he's got like so mm -hmm. much good, good lyrics in that um, in this album that I would just want to just see his production value on the on the stage and see what that performance looks like. Totally agree. I would love to see this guy live and. One of the things I love about his lyrics is something I, I very Glenn Hansardy and Boney Varish and all mm -hmm. that is just I, I because of my own inclinations I'm such a sucker for somebody just talking about spiritual stuff and not making a deal about it. Yeah. Just like singing about their life but then also whether they're using uh religious imagery as a metaphor or w whether it's something that they're talking about being very face value in their life, the way they sing about it is so matter of fact that it can mean whatever it needs to to whoever is listening. And it's just so, so powerful because it has all, you know, millennia of history behind it. So yeah. I, yeah. well, have, I just feel like you connect more with the music that way. Um, I think that's something that Frank Ocean does a lot too. Yes. Um, there's just a, there's just a really good, like, like you feel drawn to them because they're not just like being honest in their songs or anything like that, but like, because they're opening up in a way that most people don't. Yeah. They're bringing so. their whole self and their whole, exactly. like what they're figuring out. To yeah. The situation. Yeah. Um, but that's still, that's Dylan McDormand, not Dylan McDormand. That's an actor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dermot. That's Dermot Kennedy. Um, his, debut album is on spotify it's called doves and ravens awesome thank you so much lucas that's great great stuff and i can't wait to listen to more of his music now that his full album's out yeah sweet well i also have a musical pick this week um by one of my favorite musicians of the past five years leon bridges um yes yeah leon bridges a of all is just the man like he is <laughs> such a great guy he's uh a year and three days younger than me and uh, Ugh, decades man. cooler than me. 
Um, <laughs> that that is that is a hard thing now. At we're at this age where people who are famous and super talented are younger than us. Yeah, and it's very depressing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but it's also uh, a strange connection. Uh, I was I've been really good friends with uh, the church that I went to growing up. The preacher there had two sons, and um, one son was my age. One son was a little bit older. And the one that was a little bit older is a very established uh, Fort Worth musician now. His name's Sam Anderson. His band, the Quaker City Nighthawks, are kind of like a Fort Worth staple at this point. Um, it's kind of this new Americana country movement, like Chris Stapleton type stuff uh, that's going on. But theirs is a little bit more, definitely more rock and roll. Um, but he played shows with Leon Bridges all the time and like was in the first... Uh, in his first album was in the thing in like the liner notes and the thank yous. And it was just, and because of that, I was able to ask him questions like, so, you know, like it, fr- it freaked me out. And so whenever I was talking to him, they're like, yes, he is genuinely as wonderful of a person as he comes off. Um, <laughs> so that's always super encouraging yeah. um, to see somebody like a hometown uh, player really hit it big. Um, if you, I've only marginally heard of Leon Bridges. It may have been because his music was on basically every HBO show. Um, <laughs> he was on Big Little Lies. Um, it's just this great kind of R&B um, laid back feeling uh, to his music that has a very familiar nostalgic vibe to it, but um, feels very current. It's you know brand new coming out today and does... A lot. And so one of the things that I'm really excited about with, uh, he just released two new album or two new uh, songs ahead of his forthcoming album. And uh, another band that kind of did a similar thing. I mean, they're very different, but um, I think of the Alabama Shakes when I think of kind of what Leon Bridges has done in that it's this kind of throwback sound, but exciting and new. And, uh, what Alabama Shakes did from their first album, Boys and Girls, to their second album, Sound and Color, uh, was really push their sound into something very distinctly their own, um, a little bit more cosmic, a little bit more uh, melodic. Uh, Sound and Color, to this day, is one of my favorite records just because of how interestingly it combines the old with the new um, and pushes a sound um, that at first was very much an homage, but now feels like uh, something that I've never heard before. And Leon Bridges is doing that similar. I, I feel that same kind of feeling now that I'm listening to his two newest tracks, and it makes me very excited for his new album. Nice. So, um, the song that I have really been feeling this week is called Bet Ain't Worth a Hand. I better slow down I keep, keep tripping on words I don't want to say Just tell me right now Cause I keep, keep seeing the signs You want me to stay I can't commit I can't make plans Sometimes the bed Ain't worth the hand I think it's special It makes me sad Don't want to wonder What we could have 
So yeah, I'm really excited for new music from Leon Bridges, and That Ain't Worth a Hand has really been filling my ears with joy. Yeah, he's an evolver, man. He's like every new thing he comes out with, you can tell he's just building on what he's learned, and it's really cool. Yeah, completely agree. All right, well, you're going to move in to talk about Annihilation, but before we did, uh, I know that Lucas had something very important he wanted to discuss uh, on the I have pod. big questions. Yes. Big questions. Big questions. <laughs> We're asking the big questions, sorting through the imminent issues of the day. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. I recently saw Red Sparrow in theaters, um, the new Jennifer Lawrence movie. She plays a Russian spy. I also saw Death of Stalin, um, which is the story about the death of Stalin, obviously, and the surrounding events that happened after that. Um, that one's made by Armando Iannucci. He's the guy who does Veep and In the Loop. Um, and other, th- other kind of satire, things like that. Um, and so I'm very curious about the use of accents in movies because Red Sparrow, American um, director, mostly American and British cast, um, all playing Russians, speaking in a Russian accent. Um, whereas Death of Stalin, Scottish director, American and uh, mostly British actors speaking in their natural accents, playing Russians. So I'm very curious about, like, how people feel about something like this. Um, <clears throat> I was very, not put off um, by Red Sparrow, but the the accent made me feel uncomfortable because most of the time they're, they're supposedly talking in Russian when it's really just Russian-accented English. Um, and I didn't feel as uncomfortable with Death of Stalin, even though they're supposed to be talking in Russian and it's just their own accented English. Yeah. But it's it's funny because it's a comedy. Is it is does it is that what makes it less weird? Because um, I feel like when you're making a movie set in, we'll just use Russia as the example here. If you're making a movie set in Russia, I feel like your options are you have actors speak Russian, no matter who the actors are, you have them speak Russian right. and it's just subtitled. Your other option is you have them speak. Russian accented English <laughs> mm-hmm. and your third option is just have them speak in their own accent. Like, I feel like yeah. those are the only three options you have. Which I... of those would you choose? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the reason why accents in movies feel off in, in my opinion is because mm-hmm. it's like the lukewarm middle. You want to eat your cake and have it too, because you're saying I care more about an English-speaking audience than I do about authenticity and about representate like actual representation. And so I'm going to have people that are English or American, and I'm just going to have them sprinkle in a little accent so that I can ask <laughs> for a little bit more credit and it feel a little bit more authentic, but I'm not going to have it actually in Russian. And that, to me, feels lazy because... I get it, but it feels very, like, ethnocentric and, like, of a bygone era. It feels like Charlton Heston playing Moses. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, um, it just feels very old Hollywood in a way that's, like, we have to have white people as leads. We have to have people speaking English. That's how it works. So if we're going to have people speaking Russian, the most we can do is Russian accent. And I just don't think that's true anymore. I think all of – I mean, I kind of – get in the past if i'm being generous like people whenever they would get home and watch movies on their tvs their tvs weren't very big you never knew what kind of setup they were working with a lot of times it was a crt and so subtitles are tricky but that's not the case anymore like netflix 
TVs, computers, everything is adapted to where subtitles work totally fine. Um, and if you want to have moments where different languages are spoken, it feels so much better to me to have those languages actually spoken. Like in Call Me By Your Name, whenever they switch seamlessly mm-hmm. in and out of the different languages, um, that makes that movie feel real in a way to where if they had just like switched from a French to a Italian accent or something, it would have felt <laughs> very strange. Um, no. So, but I also think there's, like you were saying, when it comes to comedies, there's really something to be respected about saying these are comedians. And so we're telling a story with this as the setup. And so we're just going to have these actors act it out, but do it in their own voice. I feel yeah. like there's something more honest about that being like, we didn't, there are comedians in Russia. We didn't look for them. Like, <laughs> we got these guys because we like them and they're already yeah. at, near our studio and all that kind of stuff. Like yeah. if we wanted a Russian person, we could get them and we didn't. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, I agree. Well, I think those are the three options. There are movies where someone in the movie is obviously if it's like a native French speaker and the movie is set in America, then them having a French accent speaking English makes all the sense in the world. But um, it doesn't. If, if it's substituting for the actual language, if like the, if like English or no accented English is substituting for that language, to me that's where it feels I don't know weird. I yeah I just think it's it's outmoded at this point. Like I think it has served a purpose, but now when I see that in a theater, I'm like you are not living in the world as it is today and it doesn't ruin the movie for me but it definitely takes away from it no i still liked red sparrow i just think and i but i also think like taking box office into consideration if that movie had been because it's mostly all set in russia with with russians speaking to russians um and i if if that had been subtitled i don't think it would have made the box office that it did i just Mm -hmm. don't think you're going to get people out to see that movie if it's mostly subtitled i mean that's a good point i think a lot of it um I think it does feel more natural, like you were saying, to do something like that in a comedy instead of a drama. Because, like, mm-hmm. if you're in a drama, then you want all the gravitas, and it might feel just kind of strange to have somebody, they're all supposed to be Russians, and they're just speaking normally. Yeah. But I also think that's, like I said, a little bit more honest. Like, there are yeah. working actors in Russia, and I don't know. Yeah. I also think, though, like, uh, with the death of Stalin everyone is playing a Russian and you know, they're all speaking Russian. And so it's, it's kind of fine to just sub Russian for, for English for Red Sparrow. You also have Americans and British characters who are speaking in English at some points and speaking to Russians in English. (laughs) And Mm. so there's, it's, there's also a weird situation where you're not sure actually when Russian is happening and when English is happening Ah. because it's all the exact same for everybody. Um, There's actually one point where an American says a word in Russian and it's one of the only things that is said in Russian in the movie. (laughs) And then she goes, oh, you speak Russian, but she says it in English. (laughs) And so you're not like, is she speaking Russian now? Is he speaking (laughs) Russian now? What's happening here? Yeah. (laughs) And then there's also one line that is subtitled, which is, of a Russian person speaking to another Russian person in front of an American to show that they're hiding what they're saying from 
the American. And it's the one line that's subtitled. And it just felt really weird that it's just like, it's so disconnected what is happening in this movie with the languages. Um, but I like, I don't have a solution. I get why you can't, why, why your box office can't handle this all just being in Russian. Um, I get why you can't just hire Russian actors and actresses, um, again, for the box office. Um, but I just like for a for a comedy, I thought it worked really well just to have it all in English. It worked for that for that comedy specifically. Um, but for Red Sparrow, I don't have a solution. I don't think. Yeah. But I just wanted to like talk it out and see what you thought. Yeah, totally. I think it is complicated by the it, like it's a ratios game. So like if most of the movie would be spoken in Russian, but then there are also areas where. Because I hear what you're saying, too, about the box office. But, yeah, that's so hard. You feel backed into a corner. Like, it has to be English, but then it makes it so confusing. To me, the right answer feels like having, when they're speaking Russian, to have them speak Russian and then have subtitles. And even if that's most of the movie, it just makes more sense and is more coherent. But, yeah, it's that's tricky. It's complicated for people. But I think about movies like the passion of the Christ, where the whole thing is like in street Latin. And yeah. that was an entire blockbuster movie and it was subtitled and it made a ton. So yeah. Then yeah. again, red Sparrow doesn't have uh, people in pulpits telling everyone in their thousand person church to go see it. But I don't know. All the churches I've been know. to recently have been really, really shouting out red Sparrow. So <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the good news of J Law. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Uh. All right. So. We also wanted to talk a little bit about Annihilation today. This is a movie that we both have seen, um, but was in theaters uh, for a while, did not make very much money, and I don't know how many theaters it's still in. Before we had this conversation today, I tried to look online to see, you know, it feels like a movie that's going to be out in video on demand soon or on Blu-ray, and I couldn't find when... Uh, the movie was coming out in the States for home viewing. Uh, and I think that's because it's still making the rounds. Um, a lot of, it got a major release, uh, but it also is kind of moving around art house cinemas throughout the States and stuff. Too. So this may still be available in your theater, but um, if it was at a huge cineplex, a lot of big name movies, you know, Black Panther, Wrinkle in Time, those kind of things have pushed this out a little bit. Yeah, I think I think the release date definitely hurt it, um, and not I don't like I don't know when else like it's not like you could have predicted you could have predicted Black Panther, but um, <laughs> right number one superhero movie of all time. Yeah, um, I just don't know like when a better time would have been to release this. Mm-hmm. But I know Alex Garland. This is directed by Alex Garland. This is a follow up to um, his debut film Ex Machina, which also did not make a lot of money at the box office. Um, but was also equally, I think, equally good. <laughs> yeah. But this, I like. I know he has not been happy with how this has been handled, releasing it in limited theaters here in the U.S., um, dropping it straight to Netflix, basically everywhere else. Um, 
and I think this is like we talked about earlier. This is a movie that you want to see on the big screen. This is something you want to not be interrupted while you're watching this. Um, he's built it as a very unique viewing experience, and um, I know he wanted a lot of control over that, and that's not what ended up happening with Paramount. So yeah, and Paramount as a studio has not had very good luck lately. Like they just, I feel like they have mishandled marketing or um put a lot of eggs on in baskets of franchises that haven't been paying the same dividends because they keep coming to them over and over like transformers i just as a studio i'm really sad to see that paramount didn't put more behind this um i understand it's not like the most uh audience friendly movie around but you know mother got so much marketing and it made a lot more money than Annihilation did. And I think this is a much better movie. I mean, I enjoyed this movie a lot more than Mother. Um, I got a lot more out of it. Um, and so I wish that it had gotten that same kind of treatment and, you know, international uh, rollout and all of that. But yeah, um, I, go ahead. I was, was going to say, like, I just feel like Paramount is sweating right now. Like they are... They haven't had a lot of good hits. They haven't, honestly, they're, they haven't had a really big hit since like Transformers, like three, four. I don't remember when. Right. But they're, they're just not doing well with that series. And so they're not making a lot of money right now. So I feel like they're paying account on their lower budget movies, um, which are, I think they're better ones. So, yeah. Was it Paramount that did the Power Rangers reboot? Oh gosh. I don't. I have no clue. That sounds like something they'd do. <laughs> I, it does sound like something they'd do. Um, but I was really disappointed in the fact that that movie didn't do better. Like, it felt like a really solid franchise launch to me. And I was surprised that it's like, there's not going to be any more of them. And I was surprised it didn't do better. It wasn't, when I saw it, I wasn't like, this is an amazing movie. But I thought it was fine. Like, it was better than X-Men Apocalypse, you know? Like, um, there are other big established franchises that have done much worse, so... That's what they um, should have put on the poster. Better than X-Men Apocalypse. Right. <laughs> oh, man. DiGiorno. I mean, it's better than Pizza Hut, but... Um, but, yeah. Um, I'm also just fascinated by, you know, it, it is not lost on me that we're talking about this late. Um, and I wanted to talk for a minute about watching a movie after its moment like um <laughs> is there this is definitely a movie that i feel like i saw afterwards but there have also been movies just generally like i still haven't seen the shape of water um and i'm thankful that it won best picture because now i can it's still in some theaters and i can go see it but whenever yeah. i see it it's not going to be the thing that's all over twitter or people are talking about all the time and there's something i've kind of been looking forward to about that like while I really love being a part of the conversation and I really love um you know not having to avoid uh plot details and things like that there's mm -hmm. something that feels kind of like more like watching a movie felt like before Twitter yeah. <laughs> um when you see a movie <laughs> a month or two after it, it came out um and I don't know I you know part of this contradicts the fact that we run a pop culture podcast that talks about movies a lot but um it's nice to be able to uh listen or see something um and kind of not feel uh put upon for a take to be a part of the conversation yeah. right then so well, I feel like yeah go ahead I feel like a lot of times we um like we see movies opening weekend or we see movies right. 
you know, their second weekend, which is still part of the buzz. And we're, 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 we're part of film Twitter. Like we follow a lot of people who mm-hmm. are talking about this stuff. Um, we're having these conversations with people on Twitter, um, on this podcast. And yeah, like you said, we feel obliged to have a statement about it, like have some kind of reaction. And when you, but I think also like when you see a movie late, uh, by late, I mean like we're what a month out, <laughs> right? When um, most other e- people see movies, <laughs> right? Even even like years later, like you see, a, I just watched Children of Men, which came out in two thousand six. Holy um, shit, that movie's so good! Exactly, and so, <laughs> <laughs> and I hadn't seen it before, but I I feel like no matter when you see the movie, that's when you want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, it also feels weird to all of a sudden start talking about Children of Men now. Um, even though every, everybody likes it, it's still like, Hey guys, you want to have this deep conversation about children of men, a movie you guys all saw over 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to answer that rhetorical question. Yes. Um, <laughs> that makes me want to watch it again so I can see it fresh and talk it's about so it more. Good. <laughs> but yeah, ah, oh, that's making me think of like how, like the perk benefit of, a friend of yours watching something late because then you get to re-engage with something. Yeah. Um, like I would not have thought about children of men this week for a single moment, but now I really want to see it again. And I'm really excited to talk about it, uh, when we're not recording, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but back to annihilation. Um, Yes. Yes. (laughs) No, I, I definitely felt this about annihilation. Like you just saw annihilation and I'm like, Oh yes, I definitely like, I want to talk about that again. Um, this is something that I mentioned on the podcast when it first came out was um, just how great it was and how much, uh, how moving that movie was and unique. Um, and now like having some weeks on it, we get to talk about it again and you get to re- revisit your opinion too on stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, let's get into our kind of like thoughts proper on the movie um, without spoilers. Cause I, this is a movie that I walked out of and did not i walked out and thought whew, i did not enjoy watching that like <laughs> so to, to be clear to be clear you didn't walk out of the movie as in leave halfway through when you oh, left the movie correct <laughs> when i left after sitting in the seats with the rest of my theater completely silent glued <laughs> to the chair unable to move for five minutes i got up and left the theater uh my every muscle in my body tensed and sore and thought, man, I did not enjoy watching that movie. <laughs> um, and every moment, I think I tweeted, like, every hour since seeing it, I have thought about it. Um, and the more I have thought about it, the more I have liked it. And I don't know that I want to see it again, maybe ever, but uh, I am so glad to have seen it and so glad to have those things to ruminate on and the kind of the beauty and the grotesqueness and the metaphorical resonance to the plot and I, everything, so many things about this movie are just very unique and, um, very kind of Alex Garland's, uh, calling card. And I am, I cannot recommend this movie enough to people, but at the same time, I kind of want to say like, um like bring a chocolate bar like have a fun activity planned for afterwards like have some defragging (laughs) time on your schedule 
because uh, it sticks with you. It does not, the movie does not mess around and it does not do anything by half. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely one of the movies that like I'm driving home with the radio off just like thinking. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but so I know I know there's like tons of stuff that we want to get into with spoilers, but we do want to just kind of give overview, like what your thoughts on it are, what your feelings are um, without lo- <clears throat> without spoiling it for anybody. So just real quick overview. It's basically this biologist, uh, Lena, who's played by Natalie Portman, um, signs up for dangerous slash secret expedition into a mysterious zone called Area X. Um where or the shimmer or yeah the shimmer where things are a little wonky um and nature is kind of doing some weird things um so really it's this story of five women going into this um i I, I don't even it's yeah this area um and kind of their experience there so it's it's a very quiet movie. It's it's a very just, you know, people giving looks at each other. There's not a lot of, you know, conversations that happen. Um, it's a lot of more just the feeling of being in this place, which is something Andrew, Gar- Andrew Alex Garland did really great with Ex Machina. Um, and that one, you, you don't have a lot of characters. You just have a lot of really good, tight dialogue um, that really forms that story and here he expands it a little bit more um you get a lot more characters you get a lot more um like scenery to chew on and there's just so much to look at in this Mm -hmm. movie it is beautiful yeah that's one of the things that makes me very glad i saw it on a big screen and that i hope that anyone who doesn't see it in a theater is able to see it um in a home theater set up on a a big screen because there's so much detail um and every eye scan rewards the effort. I mean, it's it's so colorful and so um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I don't want to overhype it, but it's just it does very subtle things and then very uh, intense things uh, really pretty well. It balances those things pretty well. Like it keeps a very sci-fi movie very grounded. For most of the movie there's sometimes where it just throws that to the wind but um for most of the movie <laughs> yeah. it feels pretty grounded i also think um he does horror well this mm-hmm. isn't a horror movie but it has some scary elements in it sure um, as hell does <laughs> and and i just think like he handles it brilliantly um as well as picking an amazing cast like gina rodriguez in this movie is yeah. unrecognizable from anything else she's ever done and she does uh just she does so much good work in this thing um, with her facial expressions and with kind of the dialogue that she's given to give or she, she's given to perform. Yeah, and Tessa Thompson, too, in this is most roles I see her in, she is a badass, and she is so uh, bookish and slight in this movie. She It's completely different than I've seen her on screen. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, and I think that's something that, like, he's getting these performances out of these people, um, and casting these people who you would never cast for those roles. Um, and I, I'm it, like, it really excites me. It makes me think that like, like there was no doubt in my mind that any of these people were bad at all. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like these are all amazing people, but just to see them in these roles um, that they don't, that they wouldn't normally get or that they wouldn't normally 
um, <clears throat> portray, I think is super exciting. Um, and is one of my favorite things about this film. Yeah. When I saw, uh, Natalie Portman and, oh crap, they're all, all the names are leaving my head now. Um, what was the name Jennifer, you just said? Uh, Tessa Thompson, Gina Rodriguez. Yes. When I saw Natalie Portman, Gina Rodriguez, Tessa Thompson, Jennifer Jason Lee, I was like, I don't care what this movie's about. Like, it looks really cool based on the trailer. Like, it looks really freaky, but I am so thrilled by a movie with all of the leads being, like, I don't know. I could very easily see a executive, like, a board meeting where the conversation is like, so these are all men, right? Like, and they're all women, and they're diverse women, and plays so perfectly into this and into the themes i think it's just to me such a testament to the fact that a movie can be an incredible movie um i don't know i hated myself halfway through that that sentence because it's just like of course like duh this makes so much sense and yeah it doesn't i love that we're getting closer and closer to it being something that you don't even have to comment upon but um that's kind of why i hated it myself i was like it does a great job of being itself without even needing to be commented upon yeah. and here i am saying it but um but also it, they have unique backstories to these women like yes and i know i know all of this is based on a book but it's i would say very lightly based on a book um the threads are there but that it is very different from how that book um turns out um which i which i like um one of the you things that he was book, saying right? is Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a whole trilogy. Um, but what happened is he read the first book and then he was like, I just want to make this movie. And so he didn't read the book again. He just wrote the screenplay based on what he remembered of the, that first book. Um, I really like that method, honestly. I think, I think it's a great cool. method because you get the feel, you get kind of like the theme of it without just, you know, hitting each thing beat for beat. Um, and so, it, and so in that way, it's very, like, plot-wise, it is very different from the book. And obviously, it is, that book is the start of a trilogy that just gets thrown out the window in this movie. Um, but I think it's the right call. Yeah, it came together so well. Um, so, yeah, broad strokes. I think we were both fans of this movie. Is this a, like, you liked it or a you loved it? I, I, lo- I loved it. I really okay. loved this movie. Um, and it's one that I want to see again because there's so much to it. The more I think about it, the more I think if I felt... The only other way I think I would be able to see this is um, at a home. Like, I don't think I'm going to get to theaters again while it's out. And I was like, yeah. oh, I think I could do that if I can, like, get up and walk into a room with, a you know, a light on or, like, go into the kitchen and get, <laughs> get a smoothie or something. Like, I can do this without <laughs> feeling completely freaked. Um, but I'm very thankful that I got to have the like completely enveloped experience of seeing it in theaters for the first time. Um, but I'm with you. I loved it. Um, there, it is kind of the opposite of the feeling you get from seeing Black Panther of like, um, just like fun popcorn action movie, good time. Um, it's very heady and very, uh, oppressive and um hard but all of the challenges that it presents you with as an audience are so rewarded um yeah and it's one of those movies that just yields more and more um the longer you think about it so 
And honestly, the more you read about it, I have um, read several pieces about it that have really, really mm. helped my uh, understanding of this movie and appreciation of it. Yeah. So um, one piece I would recommend um, reading, I don't, I, I read it after I saw the movie, um, but uh, it might still be good before. I don't know. It, it kind of gives a lot of way, but I think uh, a piece by Angelica Jade uh, Bat. Bastine, I think is how you say her last name. Um, mm -hmm. She writes for Vulture, wrote uh, How Annihilation Nails the Complex Reality of Depression, um, was beautifully written and really enhanced my appreciation of the movie. So I wanted to recommend that. Oh, totally. Top as well. I would definitely, I would definitely read it after you've seen the movie. Cool. So let's, yeah, let's get into spoilers. There's a lot about this that I want to talk about. Sure <laughs> is. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. No, crack and gas. Spoilers! Remember, you wanted this. Okay, so first off, the whole bear scene. Oh my so, god. <laughs> they, so they're, as they're getting closer to the lighthouse, um, a bear kills, who's the bear kill? The one, the actress whose name I can never remember because she's not Jennifer Jason Leigh or Natalie Portman. <laughs> Tuva Novotny? Tuva Novotny? That sounds is right. Is that? Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry, um, but I don't remember <clears throat> But yes. Yeah. So she, she, she gets killed. Um, and then that's when things like really start to fall apart. Um, <laughs> and mm -hmm. Gina Rodriguez gives her amazing speech in the cabin. And this bear comes in. And this bear is not in the book. This whole incident is not in the book at all. So this was something that blew my mind. I think it was an incredible, incredible achievement. Um, the, the VFX for this, the, this, kind of rotting composted bear with the voice of a human, like just hearing the screams was yeah. bone chilling. That I, thing was amazing. God, that's one of the scariest things I've ever seen and not in a, a jump scare horror movie kind of way. I think that's what threw me about it even more was like, this is not a horror movie. Like this does not feel like something you would see in a horror movie, but this is one of the scariest things I've, I've ever seen. It's just, it's so, um, it's so imaginative and so, uh, I don't know. I just, it, bone chilling is a great word because it's one of those things that plays on s several different fears at once and bounces them off each other like a pinball machine. Yeah. I'm also going to use the word beautiful. Like it was beautiful to see like that. Like it's it's terrible and horrible, but you just can't stop looking at it because of like, how unique it is. Um, I'm glad you got bear that out without of a it. face. What? <laughs> there, I, I'm glad you got that out of it. There were several <laughs> scenes in this movie that I thought were really, uh, like the swimming pool scene. Um, yeah. Was, I thought that was like insane and horrifying, but also kind of twistedly beautiful. Um, yeah. The bear, I did not get that. I was just okay. scared. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely got that from the bear. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this is incredible. Like something so unique and really just terrible. Um, but yet there's an element of beauty in it. And yeah, I got that from the, the swimming pool. I got that from um, Tessa Thompson's transformation. Like everything that is terrifying in this movie to me also had a hint of kind of this natural beauty to it. Um and yeah. I, I thought that was just, an, one, extremely hard to do, um, <laughs> but also just really, really yeah. unique. 
I, one of the things I really appreciated about this movie that I wanted to touch on whenever we could talk about details is how slowly, what a slow burn it is. Like how it just, uh, turns up the knob on, uh, on the stove degree by degree until, uh, eventually your brain is boiling because there's, when this, when it starts off and you just see a whole bunch of different flowers going at once, it looks like set design. It look and and it's not that weird. I mean, I feel like most people, or I shouldn't say most people, but I'll speak for myself. Whenever I see flowers um, that are a bunch of different colors, it doesn't throw me off that much. And they were explaining they're all going off the same vine. How weird is that? And so you get it, but it's kind of an introduction into seeing something very beautiful, seeing something that's shifting as it's going. But it's not something that feels off or feels strange. Um, then whenever you see the uh, crocodile with the shark teeth, again, I can't really recognize shark teeth from alligator teeth. Um, <laughs> it, but I loved the shot inside the mouth. It was so cool. Um, and it, it just does all of these things that are showing you something um, that isn't off-putting or jarring as a visual, but are visually off. And whenever you have them explained to you, you can kind of start to wrap your head around it a little bit. And then as that moves through the movie, it gets more and more intense and more and more crazy and deer with flowers growing off of their head and uh, people flowers and um, horror death scream bears and all of these things <laughs> that are just oh my god so intense and awful um but also uh just a refraction i think that is some of the beauty you're talking about is how this stuff feels like something you've seen turned it into a new light and it's kind right. of like the ugly side of something really beautiful and interesting but you can't help but see the beautiful and interesting there because it's the same thing just through a different lens. And I loved how it eased you into that because it helped this kind of Kubrickian uh, sense of tension build throughout the whole movie to where I wasn't feeling, I, I let out breath, it felt like for the first time um, in a while whenever the credits rolled. Um, and even the soundtrack when the credits rolled, I was like, uh, I'm not relaxing. <laughs> like, I exhale, but I'm not <laughs> relaxing. Um, but I just, the, that escalation I thought was really well done. Yeah, definitely. Now, what part, because like, like you said, when you, when you walked out of it, you were like, I don't like this movie. Um, was it the whole way through that you were just like, this is not for me, this is not for me? Um, or was it that end scene? Because I felt a lot of my theater kind of disengage once we got that the like humanoid alien um thing okay. on screen and just that whole dance I, I felt i felt a lot of people just being like okay i'm out what is this <laughs> yeah um it's actually kind of the opposite like i i enjoyed the movie and i was in it um but whenever whenever she walks on the beach like from there yeah. to the end of the movie i was like holy shit i was so I was taken. I was taken by it. Um, the reason I couldn't get up and the reason that whenever I walked out, I was like, I don't think I enjoyed that was because the rest of the movie had been so horrifying and so tension filled that mm -hmm. I wasn't eased up by that. I wasn't, um, 
put in a place where like the beauty and the intricacy of that scene was not so devoid of tension that it like evened out the rest of the movie (laughs) it just i thought (laughs) did it in a way that i was able to really latch on to so a lot more um that finale is one of the most beautiful and inventive finales of any movie that i've seen and i mean i don't know any movie that i've seen it's sci-fi so it's different than other movies that i see but um it was an incredible finale and i i loved it so i rather than disengage that's when i was engaged in a whole new way and had a really strong appreciation for it it just didn't do anything to to decrease my attention and and the rest of the movie had been so um jarring that i was just kind of like uh i don't know um but <laughs> i i loved it when that was happening i was just I mean, jaw agape, like, how, how is this something I'm watching? I was so impressed that yeah. someone had gotten it into a film and that I was yeah. able to see it. <laughs> how about you? Like, were you kind of turned off by that, by the end? Or was it something that you liked? Was it something you liked as much as the rest of the movie or differently? No, I, I, I loved every minute of it. Um, it made me uncomfortable, the, like the ending, just because of how long it went on. Um, but the whole time I was like, uh, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. It's making me uncomfortable, but it's brilliant. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was so, so engaged by it. Like it was so unique. Um, and I feel like that's the word I just keep using for this movie because it really is unlike, um, any other movie that I've seen before. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that was the scene that taught me it was all a metaphor. Um, yeah. Up until that point, it was just so tense and so scary. And honestly, the kind of, the pace of this movie is a little bit uneven and certain uh-huh. acting, like I thought a lot of the acting was like Jennifer Jason Lee, for example, did a great job. But before I was thinking of the movie as a metaphor, I thought like, that's a little overwrought. Um, <laughs> uh, but whenever I got to that scene and I started thinking about the movie in terms of metaphor and thinking about like, um, something outside of yourself that looks just like you but isn't you um, using the same actions that you do in a way that gets in your own way and hurts you and uh, is you but isn't you and understands you but is doesn't understand anything about you. I mean, I, I loved reading that piece in Vulture that really unpacked um, this as a metaphor for depression. I've also heard... Um, people talk about this movie being a metaphor for cancer. I think there's a lot of different ways that you can interpret this film. But in that final moment, it was kind of the a moment where the finale made me think of um, think of the film and think of particularly that finale in a metaphorical way that um, is kind of that fun in between. Like when you don't have language for something yet, but you can tell that something's ringing really true and like getting to the core of you. Um I, you know, movies don't get to do that very much. And so I I loved when that was happening in this finale. And I loved being able to read more afterwards and kind of help myself find language for it. Uh, but yeah, the Jennifer Jason Lee performance, everything and the pacing that felt uneven or off or whatever, like whenever I started thinking of all of it as different aspects, aspects of one person's depression or um, 
different ways of dealing with grief. Uh, and everyone was kind of an avatar for a certain um, element for that. Mm -hmm. All of the beginning of thinking through all of that was seeing the end be such a transparent uh, display of like interpretive dance that kind yeah. of invites you to say, hey, uh, interpret all of me. <laughs> I'm a movie for interpreting. I'm not just a plot driven sci-fi thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved it. I thought it was so good. I cannot wait to see it again. Like this is one it's, it's going to leave theaters soon. Um, so I'd encourage everybody to please go and see it on the big screen if you can. Um, because it is, it is an adventure for sure. Yeah. And Natalie Portman is, I don't know. She's born for these roles or not born for these roles. She's perfect for these roles. Like, how little she does on her face and how kind of dark and intense her expressions can be while her physicality being so, um, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking because of Black Swan, I'm thinking of this language, but like ballerina-esque um, with everything else. I don't know, just the her in particular, I thought the amount of work she had to do just behind her eyes because like you said, there's so little dialogue and there's not a lot ton going on for so much of this and how much she nails it was incredible. And really the whole cast brought that. And I'm also a huge advocate of, I feel like I've talked way more than my fair share, Lucas. I'm sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> um, I'm such a huge advocate and so thankful for um, any pieces of art that help us give language to things that feel very difficult to say, especially when it comes to an inner emotional space. It's one of the reasons why I love Inside Out so much um, is kids can watch it and helps them be able to say how they're feeling and helps them identify it in those ways. And it's one of the reasons I really loved uh, Lars Van Trier's Melancholia because I feel like it really did a great job of showing what depression feels like and I feel like this movie really helps, um, again, whether it's grief, whether it's cancer, whether it's depression, whether it's any number of things that are just like transcendent within the human experience, but transcendent because of how challenging and hard they are, not because of how um, great they are. Like honoring the beauty of the human experience, even when it's hard, um, but also giving you metaphors and um, visuals to, to hold on to and to feel seen and to be able to try to help explain where you are to other people. Um, I don't know. It just makes me so grateful for this, for this movie and, um, has really made this movie an early standout for me for, uh, 2018 films. I'm totally, yeah, I'm totally really digging it. It's on my top 10 of 2018 so far. Cause... Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Three months in, it's a yep. killing the list. <laughs> oh man. Cool. Anything else you wanted to say before we wrap up? I don't think so. Let's wrap it up. Let's do it. All right. Well, um, you can reach either of us on uh, social at Feeling It Pod. You can also reach Sandra there. Um, we are there on Twitter. Um, you can also email us if you have something longer form you want to say at feelingitpod at gmail.com. You can also reach either of us individually online. Lucas, where can people find you? You can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. This week I will be debating whether... Tomb Raider is better or worse than National Treasure. Oh, I want to tune in for that. Uh, yeah. I am at Lawson West on all the socials. Um, yeah, I'm going to keep saying Vero. And there you go. Gonna be Get around. that Vero in. It's going to be around <laughs> forever. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, we will talk with you more next time. Yes. 
See ya. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people.